0: It's time for another episode of your favorite podcast, The Score.
1: We bet. We bet.
0: In case you did not know, this is Minnesota Opera's. First podcast, and we are three Black queer uh, opera administrators, and we are looking at issues um, in the opera and classical music world from our Black queer perspective. As always, <laughs> I am the EDI director at Minnesota Opera. My name is Rocky Jones. Hello. And as always, I'm here with my incredible co host, the wonderful, fascinating, talented Mr. Lee Bynum. Hello, Lee
2: insert catchphrase here
0: oh that's a good one thank you I think i've been working good, on it i think it's gonna catch on like wildfire everybody around the country <laughs> and of course how could we forget the lovely the talented the amazing the blinged out today with your <laughs> earrings hello <laughs> the fabulous Paige reynolds hello Paige. how are you
1: I am great. Yes, coming from the world of people who love 90s inspired big gold earrings. (laughs) Bling, bling, indeed. Let's get over here. (laughs) I know know we're all laughing and having a good time,
0: but looking out the window. Child. You know... (laughs) i know we talked about this last time with the fake spring but i thought by now Mm -mm. it'd be real spring Mm -mm. and today it is wednesday april 13th the forecast calls for snow tomorrow Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i i i'm speechless i don't know what to do with myself how do you people
1: live like this I don't understand. And, I would, and for me, it's not only that it's like still like not feeling like spring It's that like the weather, like she had the nerve to fake us out like that. And I would rather it have just been winter. It's like it's still winter and it's clearly still winter. At least I have some I know what to expect when I wake up in the morning. At least I just know Yes, we should keep our coat and boots out, and that's just what it is. But this back and forth, mm-mm. It's, it's, mm-mm. Yeah, it feels like a toxic relationship. It's not good for <laughs> my mental health.
0: Mm-hmm. And you know, I did something, I've been here for seven years, I guess now. Um, and I did something for the first time, which I feel like is very Minnesotan. On Monday, I took a walk around the lake my oh, house. That does and sound
2: very is. Minnesotan. Yes, and it was <laughs> lovely, it was
0: 60 degrees, it was sunny, and now trash. Yep. Just trash.
2: But yeah. it's not snowing, right? And it, it could be snowing, but it isn't. And yeah. I am taking mm-hmm. that as a real victory because earlier in the week, the forecast for today was that it would be Snowing, so when I reluctantly woke up this morning <laughs> and, <laughs> and pulled back the curtains and was like, Oh, that's rain, that, that is absolutely progress on the weather front. So,
0: yeah, I suppose. And, and spare a thought for the poor folks in North Dakota who are sitting under yeah. two feet of it yeah. at the moment, those, those poor, unfortunate souls. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but enough about that. Hopefully, in two weeks, when we speak to you again, it'll be beautiful and sunny, and maybe we'll record this outside. Deal with birds chirping.
2: What a wonderful problem to have. (laughs) But we
0: actually do have a bit of what I think is really cool news um, to talk about. I mean, it is a bit sort of. It's (laughs) all referential, you know, talking about Minnesota opera, but, you know, the other day, it's so funny, because I was talking to um, Debbie Wong, who is the artistic director at Renaissance Opera up in Canada, shout out to Debbie Wong, and she's doing amazing work up there, and, um, you know, she was, we were talking about, um, you know, a panel um, that she, uh, she's invited me to be on, um, later this fall, and I was just talking about some of the progress that we had made around EDI and access here at Minnesota Opera, and talking about how when I first started, I was the only Black person, um, on full-time staff, who was a full-time staff member, and there were two A folks, and that was it. And now on the occasions when I do find myself at the Opera Center, um, (laughs) I I walk around and I see so many faces of color. And it's so just fascinating and cool and kind of magical um, to see the way that we've shifted over the last six years. But as I'm having this conversation, I was like, I wish I had some quantifiable data to share. And like me and lee like a like a, a magical unicorn not one half hour later was like funny story i have some quantifiable data to share
2: shall i share it yes share okay it. awesome share. um Thank you, yeah, drum roll. Let's act <laughs> let's like we work in music. Um, so we were running some numbers just for some sort of internal stuff, and we saw two figures that I was very over the moon to see. Um, so we looked at some data from 2016 when we were really getting started in our EDI work, um, obviously before I came to the company, but an important time to market, right? And at the time, there were four percent of our staff identified as underrepresented people of color, uh, people of the global majority, however you want to look at that term. Right. And in the leadership circle, which at our company represents everyone who is at the director level and above across all units, was at zero percent. And today, that first number, the total number of people of color at the company hovers around 30%, right? And the number of people of color in that leadership circle is just under 30% as well. And I saw those numbers and was so, so excited. Yeah. (laughs) When I heard that, a tremendous amount of work has gone into really pushing the company forward in terms of how the company thinks of itself, right? So in that regard, I definitely wanted to shout out our colleague uh, who heads development, Diana Konopka, who was both a person on the, maybe the first person who led the diversity committee. Who is Julia. It was Julia, okay. But I do know that Diana was the architect behind a grant that funded a lot of this work which actually was designed to shift how people think about the company and how edi showed up and like edi work is very much affecting how people think so i think acknowledging diana um, her leadership and foresight around that is super important and i also want to take a moment and hopefully not embarrass him too much, acknowledge our own EDI director, Rocky, who took on... Stop. I I am going to (laughs) start, not stop. (laughs) Who took on a lot of this work in um, being the person who put words behind that diversity charter that has animated so much of this, has been a really present, thoughtful, vocal person driving a lot of this, which is, again, not so much about saying to people, here are numbers you need to hit in terms of your hiring, but really just trying to affect how we think about the company, how we see ourselves, and certainly Paige as well, who in multiple roles over the time that I've been here and before I got here, has done so much to model what it is to have a a person who is not represented generally at our company which is to say we do not have a lot of women of color at the company, but really showing up as an important thought partner, as a strategist, as a role model, as a guide in why it's important to have diverse people represented on a team, what that does, how you show up, and also how you can do that from a position, even if that position does not have, you know, director attached to the title. And there are lots of other people at the company who certainly deserve acknowledgement. Acknowledgement, And I'm almost nervous to mention some of them because I don't want to leave anyone out. But I know Pablo, um, Amanda, who's not at the company anymore, um, Julia, as we mentioned before. So many people have contributed to this work. Ryan has been an invaluable leader of this work, and I think without The contributions of so many people who are currently at the company who used to be at the company and who are in our orbit who've pushed our thinking who've challenged us who've provided resources who've reminded us why we need to be focused on this i don't know that we would have been in this very fantastic situation right now and the work is certainly not over but i think taking a moment to pause and say we did something that is not easy to do in this field that is not easy to do in this geographic region and we were really able to make a lot of movement here and i i couldn't be prouder to be a part of this company even though i would love to be able to claim some piece of this (laughs) i i just got here 10 minutes ago um (laughs) so yeah congratulations to the two of you congratulations to everybody else who has made this a reality. And I look forward to continuing to make Minnesota opera a place that looks like the world. Shay to that. <laughs> Thank you,
0: Lee, that's so- Thank you. Yes, that's, that's very sweet. And I don't know, it just feels very, it's just very heartening because I think we have, have a lot of, of conversations between the three of us you know, sometimes, especially in the last couple of years with, with COVID and in the wake of, of George Floyd's murder and all of the subsequent everything <laughs> <laughs> that has <laughs> happened in this community um, since then, um, that, you know, y- you want to look at, at the work that you're doing. And, you know, I, I, I come from, you know, a communications background, so it's like, okay, write a press release, I wrote the press release, you like it, cool, give me money and praise. I made a video, you like it, cool, give me money and praise. Like there's a product at the end, there's something finished at the end. And this is just so non-linear, you know, sometimes it's like taking three steps forward and taking two steps back. And so sometimes it's hard. It's like, you know, you can kind of see the changes that are being made Sometimes you can feel the changes that are being made, but to actually like sort of sit down and like see the numbers and like, oh, oh, wow. Okay. Oh, we, we, we did do all of those things. <laughs> <laughs> we, we did all the things that we're saying is, is really exciting. And, and, you know, so often I'll see, you know, posts on social media that are like, you know, I don't want to just see your diversity charter your land acknowledgement like you know how are you taking those those words and putting them into practice like how are they not just you know pretty words on a computer screen you know I want to see like you know diversity and hiring and you know and performers and audience stats and and policies and procedures and systems and whatnot and sometimes sometimes I do sit here and I and I feel like man are are we just sort of paying lip service? And it's just like, no, no, we're not. <laughs> we, are, we, are, we are putting our, our, our money where our, where our mouths are, literally. Um, <laughs> and even when there are, you know, setbacks, there are people who sort of come into the organization and they're not quite, you know, where we are. Um, being able to meet them where they are um and bring them forward um having you know the infrastructure in place to do that um has just it's just really exciting it's really exciting to work for a place that values all of these all of these things that we care about so much that we are able to represent our entire community that you know we're we're opening we're opening all of our spaces up and doing it in like an authentic way. And it's not just like, hey, we're the opera and we're here to say, we make <laughs> we make music in a cool, fun way. <laughs> like we're actually being intentional and authentic. And, and I just, I hope people see that and keep trusting us. We keep building yeah. that trust um, so that people, you know, who are still quite, Understandably on the fence about us and the work that we're doing, um, you know, we'll be able to see like, oh, they actually are talking the talk and walking the walk. And like, I'm coming into this space to work or coming into this space to see a show, or my kid is going to, you know, an education program and they're surrounded by kids that look like them, or I'm surrounded by people that look like me and like my story is valued. And,
3: uh,
0: <laughs> what a world! What a world if everybody <laughs> functioned like that. You know what I mean.
2: I I do know what you mean, right? And it it's hard to to have perspective on the work while you're in it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. And a lot of times it it either feels thankless, or you may question of all of the gifts that you may have, why is this the one that you are choosing to give your time to? Right? Like, does it turn into a thing? that is the worthwhile thing? And should you be using your time in this way? And and I think having these moments Maybe, where you can I, see-
0: I don't appreciate you putting our private conversation <laughs> on blast to, to the whole
2: world. <laughs> for all four people who follow me on Twitter who may see that I have days where I, I do have to pause and say, it, is, is this the project, right? Is this the right project? Are, are we able to affect change here? You know, should I you know, pack up my toys and go work in corporate America where I may or may not be able to see an outcome, but at least I'll be able to see some fantastic numbers on a check <laughs> twice a month, mm-hmm. right? When, when I ha- actually get these opportunities to kind of take a look back and hear that we are making some changes that people can feel or a few weeks ago we had a fundraising event where I actually got to spend time with singers, (laughs) singers who sing at the company something I don't always get to do because my role is fundamentally administrative and talking to uh, five different singers who are Singing principal roles and Carmen coming up, all of whom were people of color, which, first of all, was noteworthy in and of mm-hmm. itself. And then, secondly, hearing their perspectives on why they elect to sing here when they could be singing at whatever house they wanted to. It was a good reminder that even the little things can have a, a huge impact on what someone's experience is. And everyone who works at the company, everyone who is touched by the company, is deserving of those little things, whether it's a a wig that matches the texture of your hair, whether it's having that makeup or those undergarments that reflect your actual complexion, or whether it's just the fact that you can come through the door and you see somebody else who looks like you. I think these are things that really, really matter. And I'm glad that I get to be a part of an organization that privileges those experiences as being ones that are valuable.
1: I, I'm really, um, yeah. I, I think what's what's sitting with me most is being able to have uh, an impact, like, but that lasts beyond your <laughs> beyond your time at a mm-hmm. at a place. Mm-hmm. I think, especially as as people of color, when, I mean, exactly what you're talking about. Like, is this the project? Is this the thing to put yeah. my energy into right now? especially when we're often in situations where we may be the only one or the main one mm-hmm. or the <laughs> primary source of any energy for progressive change in, mm-hmm. in a place or we may be one of few or uh, even if we are listened to and supported, there's just, we can feel like a, a different sense of responsibility mm-hmm. to, to speak up at the right times, to and hold the balance while still holding your job and like having a good rapport with with everybody. And so when it can like actually uh, pay off and you see people listening or repeating things that you said or the thing that was said in the workshop or <laughs> you, you see it happening and like, times when you weren't even in the room or, mm-hmm. Oh, look what they did. I wasn't even part of that, that process. And <laughs> <Right>. like-, <laughs> <laughs> like that is the best, that is the best feeling. Um, and I'm just, I'm just really happy that that Minnesota opera has, has done that. And, uh, there are folks who like Amanda, who I think about that it, same thing like she didn't have to like just throw something into the air and watch it float if she didn't if she didn't keep it there like (laughs) there's actually been uh momentum and you know we have an anti-racist and anti-oppression charter now and we continue to build upon even even that and when it's time for even that to change again or to get um to elaborate or or shift our, our thinking again as the world turns. Like I mm-hmm. feel, <laughs> I feel good that whoever raises that or if uh, no matter who it is, if they're a person of color if there's queer, if they're trans, like that, you know they can be listened to and actually have some type of uh, there's weight to to what they say that can reverberate beyond the room that it's set in and to other parts of the organization. That is that is really progress and something to be proud of.
2: Yeah. yeah. And I was just going to say, I know this is probably a little bit more of a navel-gazing conversation than we typically have True. on the show. But <laughs> part of why I thought it was important for us to sort of say this is because, one, I think, in so many instances, a lot of opera companies, orchestras, dance companies, theater companies, what have you, museums cannot leave them out there are folks who are doing this work by themselves and they Mm. do not have each other in the way that you know i have the two of you and five other people in our department who are not currently on screen so i do want to say we see you, we know your efforts mm-hmm. are, are hard, but they are valuable. There are people out there like us, write to us, call us, come see us, right, who Please. will encourage you and tell you that there are reasons to keep on keeping on because there is a such thing as seeing some of the fruits of your labor on the other side and also mini commercial, we are hiring an impact right now for um, an entry-level EDI coordinator. And part of why it was important for us to put that role forward is because I think there's a way that in the arts, we don't even know how EDI is supposed to work half the time, right? Mm -hmm. And so many of us who are in it have come to it from other job functions. We learn as we go. Very few of us have had any kind of organized training around this we're we're going off of instinct and and logic and hope in some instances and we're trying as well to think about what is a way that we can codify with this work is make it easier for people like have a path to being able to say there are particular coordinated things that you can do in this space to make actual difference here, big difference, small difference, everything in between. And and I really just want to invite a broader conversation with people who don't work here, who may be listeners to the podcast regularly or you're just catching this and say, we really do wanna hear from you and hear what you do, how you do it, what works, what doesn't work, just sometimes if you want to say, hey, I just need a a friend with whom I can commiserate, whatever that is, I think we can be in a broader community than we are easily able to be in right now.
0: Absolutely. The score at mnopera.org is where you can email us, um, you know, and eventually we'll get off our, our duffs and figure out social media (laughs) And, (laughs) and all of that but of course you can always write into any of the minnesota opera social media channels and uh the messages will get to us but you know one of the things that i i tend to say when i'm i'm orienting new staff members um is that it has been really exciting the more that we have um moved forward in this work you know some of the people who you know we're not into <laughs> this sort of new, new way of being, um, sort of ushered themselves out of the door. Um, and so right now we are left with a, a community of people who are really activated um, and who just understand the value of this work. And what that means is that we're attracting more people who see that we're doing this work and they want to come be a part of it. Um, which is so exciting. so our community is growing more and more and more and more. So if that sounds like you, come join our community. Yay! <laughs> come, come be a scorekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> come be our assistant. <laughs> <laughs> Super exciting. Well, with that, well, I was going to say small professional victory, but I've been told that I'm not supposed to say a small professional, professional victory. Yeah. A big I think it's pretty damn big.
2: Yeah.
0: Um. Very exciting, and very exciting to introduce our next guest, who is another one of these global majority new employees <laughs> who has who has joined us. I'm the incredible, incredible soprano. Uh, Simone Harkum, who is one of our resident artists this year at Minnesota Opera. Um, perhaps you saw her as Leontine in uh, Joseph Ballone's The Anonymous Lover this past February, where she, I mean, ridiculous.
2: I think the professional artistic term is sung to house down I, I, mean, I think that's what mm-hmm. we were looking for
0: mm-hmm. like she was incredible so incredible but she's also <laughs> um, this May um, she will be singing Micaela in our upcoming production of Carmen and she was kind enough to sit down with us so uh, we'll be back with Simone Harcum after the break mm-hmm. Everybody, welcome back to the show. We are so excited for our next guest, the amazing soprano, Simone Harcom. Welcome to the show, Simone. so a little bit about her after receiving her bachelor's degree in music education from norfolk state university in 2012 uh, she worked as a choral director in norfolk public schools until 2016 Uh, she also received her master's of music from the peabody conservatory at johns hopkins university and since then she's been racking up roles and awards across the country in 2018 she was the first place winner of both the national society of arts and letters dc Dorothy Lincoln Smith voice competition, that is a mouthful, I goodness! <laughs> <laughs> and the Sylvia Green voice competition. Uh, she also won the 2021 Opera Ithaca competition and has sung all over the place, Opera Maine, Virginia Opera, Des Moines Metro Opera, the list goes on and on. Uh, this past season she joined us here at Minnesota Opera as a resident artist where you may have seen her. Amazing, incredible, um, I mean, I can't even say enough about your performance in *The Anonymous Lover* <laughs> as Leontine Like, I mean, just <laughs> spectacular. Um, <laughs> and next season, she's going to join us as a company artist, um, and you can see her in *Rinaldo* and as Donna Anna in *Don Giovanni*. But. The reason for the season, y'all, is this (laughs) May 8th through the 22nd at the Ordway. Go on down and get your tickets, and you can see her in Carmen, where she'll be singing Micaela. So excited, directed by the incredible Denise Graves, and we are so honored to have you here on the show, Simone. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, I just have to ask before we get into Carmen and all the stuff, so... See a lot of norfolk and virginia and john topic dmv references that are you from
4: are you from virginia the dmv no
0: so oh, i okay. well i'm
4: from i grew up in baltimore
0: nice okay
4: b more yeah okay. i was born in houston um but my mom moved me to baltimore when i was like five maybe um late enough for me to have like an awful country accent when I got there but early <laughs> <late enough laughs> for, for me to call Baltimore you know my home yeah
0: nice nice well I'm I'm originally from D.C. so yeah that that same area and yeah and Paige has got D.C. ties and Lee's from Richmond so
4: it's kind of the place to be I mean kind to, of is coming to Minnesota was a little bit of a shock to me and you know I love Girl... it
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. But
4: I am an East Coast girl, honey. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on over here. It's very obnoxious for it to always be colder than yeah. what I thought was the North and the East. You no.
0: Know. <sighs> this perpetual winter yeah oh my it's a, I i it was so funny i was talking to one of my best friends um was in chicago for the first time this weekend and he was like yeah and we took a uh I and mean, he's from dc and he was like yeah we took like a boat tour and it's still really cold here and i was like Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah. I am not here for it. I'm not here for it. I look out my window and it starts snowing. I am angry. Okay. Angry. I cannot handle it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm curious. So growing up in Baltimore, did you have a very like musical artistic family? Did you have you know singers, artists in your family, or other mentors? Um, well, that you looked up to when you were a kid
1: yeah well my
4: mom was a choir director
0: um, I, all,
4: like all my life she was one in houston and when we came here she was directing the choir at good shepherd baptist church mm-hmm. in baltimore and i sang there i was on every choir i was on every choir. <laughs> when i was when i was nine or like ten it had to be nine or ten yep i was i remember singing with the senior choir
0: oh wow wow
4: Yeah, they were they were something, but I always had to be there. I was with with my mom at rehearsals and everything like that. You know, yeah, I was I mean, I was very musical, but church musical. Um, And each summer I went back to Houston Hmm. uh, to see my grandparents and they put me in the ensemble theater in Houston, which is one of the first I think it's the first black theater in Houston. So that's where I started like theater training and, you know, we did, we did plays every summer. So it was like church music and uh, uh, musical theater. That's where I was until middle school where I went to, where I started in chorus and stuff like that.
1: I was smiling and laughing to myself because I have very similar uh, experiences mm-hmm. of being yeah. in church all the time, and <laughs> <All> <laughs> especially the time. if the if the numbers are low. Sometimes when the, <laughs> with the senior <laughs> choir, they but may you ask you to go. Yep. Uh huh. I've been there. <laughs> there was this one lady I remember.
4: I don't think she was on the senior choir, but she was so sweet. And my mom put me right next to her, and she was very tall. Like she was tall and she was broad, but she could not find her note to save her life. And so my mom (laughs) came to the and my task was to sing up into her ear. And that's what I remember. I remember singing upward onto this, (laughs) like,
3: trying to get this lady. And she
1: she was like, oh, Oh, is this it? Is this the <laughs> I,
4: I remember that vividly. Like I had, you know, specific assignments in the choirs there, you know? But but yeah, I, my mom directed choirs until just recently. Just recently. She'll probably go back, honestly, but I don't know. But other than that, I went to uh, Deer Park Middle Magnet for middle school. And so that's where I got all of my um, like primary uh, music training. I learned how to read music there. You know, I learned all about choirs. Um, I picked up my first instrument there, I think. And then I went to Baltimore City College, the Baltimore City College Choir. And it was, you know, that was it from there.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well I would love to hear a little bit about your experiences at Norfolk State. We've talked a lot on this show about the importance of historically Black colleges and universities in shaping Black artists and those lineages of mentorship and it wasn't lost on me that after your college experience you yourself taught. So I'm kind of curious about that idea of giving back, right, and who gave to you and and how it inspired you to give to a new generation?
4: Of course, um, well, first of all, my HBCU experience was like, it, it saved me. I think mm-hmm. I, I would not, I, I don't think that I would be able to function in this career right now, mm-hmm. who I am without it. Um, because what it meant was that excellence in classical music was is is a part of my culture. It's something that I know very well, right? Um, it, it was where I was first introduced to classical music with in the room with a whole bunch of black people,
3: (laughs) you know, (laughs) um,
4: and it, it me, once you step out of that, you realize that no one else, no one else gives excellence in classical music to our culture, Mm
3: -hmm. you know?
4: So instead of, instead of being able to like fall right in and believe that, that lie, it's, it's a lie. It's also Mm -hmm. just, miseducation it's that they don't you know they don't know because they haven't they don't they haven't experienced it right um I can go in to to a career like this and understand my roots in it mm-hmm. instead of trying to find my way mm-hmm. um yeah I, I I think also HBCUs put out teachers like nobody else
3: yeah mm-hmm. we know that mm-hmm. they
4: they put out teacher the education program at, at Norfolk State was Was amazing. The music department was great, but my degree was heavy in education and Mm -hmm. educational practices. Um, But you see it, you see it there. Each teacher, most of my teachers at Norfolk State had gone to Norfolk State. Interesting. Yeah. And then they came back to teach there. Um, a lot of the teachers in the area had gone to either Norfolk State or Hampton, mm-hmm. or um, you know, one of the schools in the area. You stay, you know, mm-hmm. and you teach. You teach where you are. Um, so, so that was that was interesting. And the the um, the traditions of that space they live on through the people who have been there, you know. They know it as a student, they know it as an alumni, they know it as a teacher, you know? So I don't know, I loved it. The choir is the best choir, the best choir around. I think it still is, that's just the end. <laughs> 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 but no, I, I, I wouldn't trade that experience for the world for sure. That um, brings up a
1: question question for me because I I also went to HBCU I went to Howard and and found like a similar thing with people who who come back and, and and teach and how many of my teachers had either went there themselves or even like as a kid were like yeah I went to the summer classes here and and stuff like that and I also and that word like lineage i especially think about black women within that or now, i wonder if you could like speak to like what black women specifically like have meant to you in in your career and like who are yeah i mean obviously everything like right like and, and just like who is on your mind like right they now especially all, they're all they
4: are all your mothers right it's yeah. just it's just how it how it works um <laughs> I feel like now as an adult, I take responsibility for um, young black women around me, you know? Mm. And I I see that um, in how my mom's friends and my mom, I mean, my mom, of course, but my mom's friends and um, my teachers and my big sisters. I mean, come on, I'm an AKA, I, you know. Skiwi. Exactly. And as soon as you are immersed into a situation like that, a sorority, especially at a black college, um, you gain sisters, you gain mothers, you gain teachers. Um, and you know I had this woman, this woman who uh, she, she worked at the front desk of our dorms and she took it upon herself to stop any young woman from leaving the dorm if she wasn't dressed right.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
4: like if she was on if she was on duty like you are not going out in
3: pajamas (laughs) you
4: you could I mean I guess tell her to get out of your face and keep walking but you're not going to do that okay not to not to a black woman like this (laughs) you know (laughs) like you're not going out there in your pajama pants. you're not going out there with your bonnet on you're gonna go back upstairs and get dressed and then come back you know so it's that kind of it's it's that kind of um polishing that you get uh, from, you know, black women. And for me that there, have there have only been, there have only been black women, you know, who have, who have made me kind of who I am now, you know, my mom growing up, she was, uh, she was strict. She was very strict. Um, but she wanted to make sure that I knew that I could tell her anything,
3: mm-hmm. but
4: she also knew that I probably couldn't. So what she did was, she designated two of her friends. She said, "If you have something that you need to talk to somebody about, and I encourage you to call them." And they would only tell her if it was like life-threatening or something, you know, like if they really needed to. <laughs> but <laughs> there, you know, that community um, is just a safe space, and it still is, you know, yeah. even even till now. I mean, Denise is my is my teacher, Denise Graves. I mean, she immediately became my teacher, uh, my mentor, my, sometimes she's my mom, sometimes she's my (laughs) and it it was just, it was just that way. And I mean, I think it's because she's a Black lady, honestly.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And what has the experience of working with Denise been like on Carmen, something she knows probably better than anybody ever, including Bizet, right? He
4: like, is in authority in the room for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, as of right now, I mean, I've only had a couple of rehearsals with her. I've been in and out this week. Um, but my first two staging rehearsals, we got through all of Act One. I mean, I know her in a lot of ways. You know, I work for her, um, I, you know, I've, 2016 is when I met her I think (laughs) but she's never directed and you know what she's never seen me in a rehearsal room either um so this is a very new experience and I realized um you know being a director and being a singer or being a teacher are, are two totally different things yeah and she's always been brilliant and she knows Carmen in and out um I've just kind of been in awe. I've just kind of been sitting there just like, really like, really like proud, like, yes, go get them. (laughs) Um, Because you can see her passion. You can see her passion in it. You can see her investment, just like you can see it in everything she does. But I I love seeing it in the room. And um, to be able to communicate with her about my character, because I, I mean, I'm singing Micaela is, is not a new thing because we do that in voice lessons, you know. Um, but it's, it's fun to be able to collaborate now, you know, yeah, officially.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would imagine that just must be such a magical experience to like have this person that you've idolized and worked with in yeah. such a different capacity, like now be here and be your director. I just think yeah. that, that must be just so exciting.
4: It is exciting. It is exciting and, and new. I, I appreciate that.
0: So I'm curious. Do you have you know any advice perhaps um, for you know artists of color who are perhaps considering this as a career, um, you know, aspiring composers or directors or singers or librettists or what have you, um, you know, coming up? Anything that you have found on your journey? That you know you would want to impart.
4: Um, I think first that there is, there's no, there is not one way to do it.
3: Mm-hmm. You
4: know, every everybody's career is different. Everybody's path is different, and everybody wants something different out of this career. Um, you don't, you don't know exactly the ins and outs of the career until you've experienced them. So I think it's really important to um, stay honest with yourself about what you want out of your lifestyle and what you want out of your career. And know that deciding your exact makeup of this career is not, is not a reflection of your success. There, there's a lot of people who are gonna tell you, you know, or who have told me uh, how to navigate the career, right? You never say no to anything
3: right? (laughs) (laughs) They say, say
4: you never say no to, you know, a role or something, right? Don't turn down work, right? Um, They say, you know, you got to keep, like, keep hustling, right? Like, stay, being a singer is so, it's such a huge responsibility to keep your voice in check Mm -hmm. and to, like, <laughs> to be ready for each role as it comes, you sacrifice a lot personally mm-hmm. I think socially things like that um and to keep going with no breaks is a huge sacrifice that I think it need you need to choose to make you know um the, i've I've met so many principal artists who are like insane insanely pristine singers. Mm-hmm who they don't take six shows a year. They take three and they have a family and they love it. <laughs> <laughs> no? Yeah. And sure, that, that doesn't mean that they're singing at the biggest houses all the time or they're not the, the best known, but they have a life that they love. And even now, as I'm, as I'm picking up more work, I'm um, really taking a look at what I want what the possibilities are and what I'll, what I'll take and what I'll leave. So I think, I think my advice would be to be flexible and to be honest with yourself mm. and to only answer to yourself.
0: Well, because at the end of the day, you're, you're all you have really, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, I'm For- curious, has, has Denise given you a piece of advice, whether that's, you know, in singing or in life that you carry with you?
4: Um, I mean, all the time,
0: Mm
4: -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) time. Um, but, but no, I think on it, for me, um, the best advice she gives is her example. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel very lucky to, to have the access to her that I do. Mm -hmm. And, um, because she, and I've always said, she taught me much, she teaches me much more outside of the, uh voice lesson than she ever has inside. She taught me a lot in the voice lesson, mm-hmm. but the voice is one thing, but how to how to build a career with a reputation of, you know, being on top of it, being kind, you know, being like really, really invested in what you're doing and giving yourself to it. Of course, of course. I mean, she's she is the example of that. you know, and I just, I love, I just love watching her navigate those things. And that's another thing that I'm learning, you know, the amount of focus and real investment you have to have on the stage for like that long amount of time is not anything that I would have ever, um, that I could have even understood. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I first got to Peabody, I was giving it. I was giving everything I could, but it wasn't enough. <laughs> and you know, she's like, Well, that, you know, that wasn't enough. And I'm like, well, that's all I had. And that's not true. I mean, as you grow and as you learn, I really am coming to understand what she means mm-hmm. and come to admire her. And a lot of the other artists um, that I've seen over the years admire them so much more because you understand the load that they've been bearing, right? And and how um how skilled and how focused they had to be to uh, create these these beautiful careers and this music all the time
2: mm-hmm. Well, we certainly admire you i I think the seeing you in the anonymous lover, where you gave Ugh. this wonderfully <laughs> committed, fully realized, very very thoughtful, nuanced performance, it made me super excited for what you will do in Carmen with Michaela, which is always my favorite part. And I I feel like it's, you know, like, it it, maybe it's not as flashy as Carmen, but I feel like she has a real arc, right? And a relatable one, because no good men are everywhere. And I think Mm -hmm. many of us have experienced (laughs) one or two in our time. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm really (laughs) excited to see what you're going to do with it and, and, you know, hear it for sure.
4: I struggled with Micaela for sure. Um, I was very confused by her. I, mm. And you you get in the Carmens that I've seen, it's easy for them to play Micaela as, you know, very um, kind of, you know, scared and mm-hmm. running around mm-hmm. after this man, you know, and just not relatable at all, right? Um, so I'm be honest, I never liked her. <laughs> never, I never liked the character. I was like, I'm absolutely not, you know? And I have these thoughts about characters all the time, you know. Like I'm here for Aika. Aika's my homie, but she broke that tomb.
3: <laughs>
4: there is absolutely no reason for her to do that. Okay. None. I have to agree. Fine. Okay. Liu, <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys know Liu. She she mm-hmm. goes out there in this. Uh, Liu, I wasn't here for Liu until her aria, mm-hmm. until um uh uh to Katie Gel, right? To Katie Gel, Liu says, you know what? All right, I may not agree with this. She's running around after this man. She loves him. He obviously does not love her. In my eyes, Liu, go find yourself something else but these are her choices these are her these are her choices and the reason i end up here for Liu is because she doubles down on that choice and i Mm -hmm. respect that you know what i mean she goes in and she's like i'm gonna stand up to this lady okay and i'm gonna die because that's gonna be the worst thing for her and it's gonna help my homeboy cool she does that all right fine Liu. not with your decision mikaela just runs around after this dude like the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> the entire show. And it wasn't until I read it and then I started studying her as a character that it wasn't that I realized that it wasn't Michaela that I didn't like. It was the fact that I didn't, I didn't believe the portrayals of her. Yeah. Nothing in the libretto, nothing in the music says that Liu is this delicate um, person. Maybe she's mm-hmm. a bit naive possibly in act, in act one, especially, you know, mm-hmm. but the truth is that his mom, Don Jose's mother sent, sent Micaela to, um, to go and find him, you know, and give him this message. Don Jose's mother raised Micaela. Okay. There had to be some other people around. Okay. So when you say, Hey, look, I'm in the hood. Okay. I mean, let's say I'm Simone, I'm in the hood and I got five kids around me. Okay. I need one to run down to the Seven Eleven and get some essential <laughs> items. Are you going to choose the little punk, or are you going to choose like the one
3: <laughs> going to make
4: it there and make it back? Right. So number one, Don Jose's mother tells Micaela to go, which means she must have some steel. Okay.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: When she gets there, she doesn't immediately run away from the soldiers that are trying to get her. She, you know, she finds her way out. She maneuvers her way out of it. At the very end, she goes to get Don Jose from the mountains. Unprompted, she says, "Well, he's you know he's been taken by this awful woman. I'm gonna go and save him." She goes into the mountains by herself. There's no way that Mikael is a scared little girl. Yeah, maybe she's a little naive. Maybe she's a little lovelorn, but she makes a few statements. So that's. That's my task in Carmen to um, validate Mikaela, at least if only for myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know I what like I think? The
0: sound of that.
2: <laughs> I, I I do too, and I, I'll tell you. You know the the piece about Mikaela that I always find so compelling, and I I think this comes through better in Carmen Jones than it does in Carmen, because I actually think some of the cuts give some clarity. And the fact that Olga James, who sings the role in the film, is one of the few actors who's actually doing her own singing. So I think there's a way that it comes together differently. But she loves him, right? And she loves him in a way that we don't see anybody loving anybody else in this piece. And I think there is something so compelling to the fact that whether it's the... the her loins already being girded or the love is pushing her to do it, she's willing to like put herself on the line in a very different way that right. the sort of lust driven actions of some of the other characters are. And I think there's just so much, so much there. And also her R's are just super cool. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know,
4: Carmen Jones is, the what they did in Carmen Jones that is not, um, laid out plainly in the opera is that they they established a relationship of mikhail and jose yeah you know she when she came in um you know they were already talking about when they would when they would get married you know he said plainly yeah that's my girl
3: mm-hmm. you know
4: and carmen i think that's up to us yeah exactly what their relationship is um and that was one of my first questions like where are we here are they have they have feelings for each other sure um has that ever been expressed you know because i mm-hmm. think that's a real that's a real <laughs> that's a, a that needs that's good information you know in setting up the relationship because i mean i don't know if you have if you've had a friend where all of a sudden you have different feelings for them mm-hmm. that very natural friendship would at some point become awkward because you don't know how to relate to them in that way, or you haven't said it yet, right? So yeah, it's not laid out, it's not laid out in the opera exactly where their relationship lies.
1: But in Carmen Jones, they set that up very well. I have found that same thing. I think that was always my impression. Like that's what I thought (laughs) Carmen (laughs) was supposed to be. Certainly the first time I saw it, I, I can't even recall the opera. I couldn't even recall what production it was, but it gave more of the impression that just like, oh, like maybe this was his little girlfriend, or maybe they had a crush. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and then here goes Carmen. And it was kind of like, well, okay, well, all fair. Love him more. <laughs> then I guess. So <laughs> it, hurt, it hurt much more.
4: It hurt much more in Carmen Jones it when really did. Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, like that's and oh, that's awful. It hurt much more. Like they already had plans to see each other, and he he left.
0: They were supposed to get yeah. married that night.
4: Married, but you know what <laughs> I appreciate in Carmen Jones. He they had a lot more time for him to be, um, for him to try to fend Carmen off mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. in the opera. In the opera, mm-hmm. he's just like, well, bye. <laughs> yep, I think. Yep, let's do it, <laughs> Mikaela. Lahu. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think I think they but also they were tailoring it to a certain audience too right they were tailoring it to an audience and and as far as stories go it's much more engaging to have a, bro- a broken actual established relationship than just some poor girl yeah. that is running around after him you know
2: yeah, for sure. They they definitely take advantage of the medium, right? And and the fact that they can utilize a lot of spoken dialogue to clarify what the relationships are, and in some ways, really simplifying them. I think is a is a great kind of a a turn with right. the piece. Um, and you know, when you talk about you know it being tailored for a certain audience, I think that's always been the struggle. For me, with knowing, you know, any Broadway show that was written in the 40s is going to be for the entertainment of primarily white audiences right like in 1943 I don't know who else would have been going to Broadway in, in large numbers. And the fact that like there are aspects where they are, you know, either performing blackness even being black people or going for something that is meant to evoke blackness is a, a very curious kind of a thing to watch, even when something like uh, beat out that rhythm on a drum, you know, is executed in a way that's like, oh yeah, those are real Black people playing these roles and, and you know, inhabiting that space of Black joy that we so frequently are searching for in the opera. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, speaking of, um beat out that rhythm on a drum specifically. Like I was, that's one of those scenes where I think then specifically, actually, I had the same thought of, oh yeah, this was made for like somebody else. Like Mm -hmm. this is clearly very Black and like only we could (laughs) have done this song like this. And at the same time, just the whole dynamic isn't fully giving what a Black space would give. And it's just one of those moments where, you become like super aware of, you know, like this This feels familiar, but doesn't have like the intimate aspects of how we relate to each other present. Like, like when we talked about um, Carmen and Hip Hopera, mm-hmm. like <laughs> to compare like the grittiness levels almost, you know, Carmen Carmen Jones to me was yeah, I, I think some of the in, the interactions just between between people um, probably because they had that certain audience to please didn't feel as authentic yeah. <laughs> as yeah. you know as as Carmen um, the hip opera and maybe even some ways sometimes maybe the opera um, yeah it was just it was just interesting to see like what happens when it <laughs> when you have this. Um, especially knowing the standards that they had to Mm -hmm. fit then (laughs) Mm -hmm. how much you have to kind of distill Carmen um make it fit yeah
4: I mean I just that song I feel like was the one that I used to watch Carmen Jones um years ago like with my grandmother Mm -hmm. when I was young I think I mean I do remember that but now knowing the show that was the the piece that was the most striking for me mm-hmm. like the, the most strike had the most striking difference, you know And it was I loved it. I loved it, but I just wanted it to go somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know with us, you know our music is gonna it's gonna shift. We're gonna have a real solid B section okay <laughs> <laughs>
3: um,
4: But I found myself longing for that in Carmen Jones where I've never longed for that in the Aria because i think my expectations of it were different and how they related to the music yeah was like right on the edge of what i know that like <laughs> it's just That's right it. on mm-hmm. the edge of mm-hmm. like real good like i mean i can't say real good music cuz it's a beautiful aria the aria itself is insane but my expectations for it were um were different in in seeing it there so i yeah, it was kind of teetering the whole, sh- the whole movie kind of teetered, you know, on um, right on the edge of comfortability for me now that I know the opera.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I always kind of go to this place where you have to wonder about, they put together this cast of like the best singers, black yeah. singers in, in Hollywood, and then ask most of them to lip sync to somebody else, Um, which the the insult, the dislocation, the disappointment, and then the fact that if most of your character's strongest emotional work is happening in a song that you are not even singing yourself, like, right. how do you shape that arc? Harry Belafonte is the first Black man to win a Tony for a musical, Diane Carroll is the first Black woman to win the best actress Tony for a musical. And here they are lip syncing to other people. And you have to wonder, like, A, did you not trust them? (laughs) B, did you not realize you can adjust keys if that's really where Mm -hmm. we are with this? But the, the fact that there wasn't the trust in these Black artists to just execute what they wanted to, I think, to the point that you two both made about the music never hitting the heights. That you wanted to, it's like just let, you know Pearl Bailey and Max Roach do what they do, and we will please. get there. you yeah, please, Absolutely. right? <laughs> well, and it's just so strange did Pearl, because
4: did Pearl Bailey not sing?
2: No, she did do yeah. her own singing, but I felt oh, like
4: oh, was, was it perfect. restrictive?
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: No, Pearl Bailey was singing, honey. Okay,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's so strange because you know I watched it again last night, and. Like we all know what Harry Belafonte sounds like when mm-hmm. he's singing. And then to hear that voice come out of this man's it was mouth.
4: Off. Yeah, it was just
0: so jarring. And I think like in a way that it didn't hit me when I was a kid and watching it for the first time, but like as an adult. And it's just like, wow, if you had just let Harry Belafonte sing this, the way that we all know that Harry Belafonte could sing this, the way that it would even just pierce your heart even further <laughs> is just like... It's such an odd choice to me but reading the history of the production there are just so many odd choices that were made
1: <laughs> Real. The voice thing upset me most when it mm-hmm. got to Carmen's death mm-hmm. and yeah. I was yeah, yeah, just, yeah. it is the most like from some like authentic outbursts of emotion and it just... <laughs> what, upset, what upset me most
4: was the chorus scenes honestly mm. what upset me most mm. was the chorus scenes and and I will you know I always play devil's advocate I will I'd say all right fine we want the whole thing to be you know Carmen Carmen fine you want you don't want to change the keys cool <laughs> okay but First of all, if the Lion King Choir could do what they did on Lion King, (laughs)
3: then
4: we could have found the folks to come in and sing this chorus because Mm -hmm. those choruses would have been, like, I mean, bursting. Fire. Yeah. Bursting with color. You know what I mean? That's that's really, it took me out. (laughs) 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 And no, I, I didn't know. I... I think I realized a few years ago uh, or no, that's what happened because I realized that Marilyn Horn, Mm St. Carmen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was like saying Carmen, like on Carmen Jones. And I remember reading that when I was at Peabody, I was like, what? Marilyn Horn. No, that was, you know, Dorothy Dandridge. No, maybe it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I put it down. I put it down until y'all, until y'all called me about it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I was reading that Marilyn Horn said, like she was quoted as saying that she tried to sound as much like Dorothy Dandridge's actual voice as possible. And I'm just like, I believe that. <laughs>
4: I believe that she tried. I do. <laughs> she tried.
0: You tried. <laughs>
4: I mean, if anybody, if anybody at that time was going to do it, you know, yes, Marilyn Horn. I mean, Marilyn Horn. will give you a she'll belt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know but everybody still loves it I talked to my grandmother about it um just a few days ago um and you know she and my mother and my aunt we we're all on FaceTime I'm um, on FaceTime on Facebook uh Facebook video whatever it's called messenger <laughs> <laughs> um they were all like yes and they just start talking about the whole thing you know, so it really, I mean, it really was, I think it was a great thing. It was a great success, you know, especially to to adapt an opera pretty much as is and, you know, have it be so well accepted by at least the people I know. They loved it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, and, you know, it has this quality for me of like, um, Black Panther or or School Days or one of those kinds of movies where everybody big from a particular generation is in one cast, right? There's no other movie except Porgy and Bess, which randomly has the same cast and none of them are also singing for themselves in that movie. But like the fact that they put all of these really fantastic actors in at the prime of their youth everybody saw what Harry Belafonte looked like. Like that, that we in and sure of did. itself <laughs> is something else. We also saw that he can't lip sync to save his life. At Please all. don't let him ever be on RuPaul because he is going home.
0: Uh-huh. He's worse than Matty Morphosis. <laughs> I've been doing it all <laughs> He probably did it on purpose
4: <laughs>
1: like, right. this is not my
2: voice i want everybody to know that right <laughs> well here's how i would have sang it <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. i also want to touch on how like this uh her dorothy's portrayal department like is just is one of my favorites because she's so like it's not just the flirtatiousness, it's like the mischievousness mm-hmm, that comes mm-hmm, across mm-hmm, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. when she goes and jumps on that train. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, hands, hands, she's the wildest wow. Carmen by far, the wildest one. I love it. <laughs> I hate
4: to insult somebody's acting chops like this, but it just seems so natural. Seemed like yeah. you know, yeah. like there are certain roles where you feel like you you can play yourself, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that was probably homegirl. I think she was, maybe, well, that's, maybe that's how she navigated.
0: <laughs> well, that's what's so crazy about it. Apparently, Otto Preminger, when she first auditioned, was like, you are not sexy enough for this role. You need to go and play, like, Mikaela And originally cast her for that. And then, like, they met up and had their affair and whatnot. And then right, all I was she... thinking he must've been kind of okay with her flirtatiousness. <laughs> he went over to her house one night, I guess, went um, <laughs> But I mean, it's just a testament to, to her incredible acting skills that like, I mean, she just oozed sensuality yeah. in yeah. every scene that she's in. It's incredible. Yeah. Truly incredible. And the way she got her dresses, think... child, <laughs> that
4: scene when she was at home, when they, when she had brought him to her house, I thought that was a beautiful addition. Mm-hmm. A very nice, yeah. Addition. Yeah. Um, you know, and it showed like, it was surprising for me, you know, watching it again, that, oh, that's not, that's also not present, you know, in the, in the opera's Carmen. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's, it's very, very relatable for, you know, black people yeah. You know, to be to be all of this, to put on this show, whichever kind of show you're putting on, whether it's like strong woman, whether it's um, very, very sensual, whether it's, uh, you know, just like care, I mean, not caregiver, but you know, the hard kind of caregiver who I'll fight mm-hmm. you for my kids. But <laughs> when he got in the house, you know, she immediately started tending to him, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's something that, you know, black women for better or for worse, have you all you have to have it, you know, and I thought it was just such a such a breath of fresh air seeing that scene uh, portrayed in in Carmen Jones.
2: She had a a way with that role where she kept her, you know, in that mischievous central place but she stayed sympathetic right and she Mm -hmm. did things like the scene towards the end where she has with uh Cindy Lou the Michaela where she's kind of like girl keep it moving like you see what this is this is not for you like there she did it not in this way that was like this is my man get out of here but much more like I'm going to tell you something from one woman to another Mm -hmm. and and I found it so affecting right like there's just something about Dorothy's understanding of how to hold that role, how to hold the movie with as much going on. She fully deserved that Oscar nomination. Mm-hmm. Many times I've seen the country girl, I actually think she should have won. And yeah. it, you know, it's really one of those very iconic performances that I, I wish Dorothy had lived longer for a lot of reasons. Cause I think she had so much more as an actress to give.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm looking at the time, and if you want to go see another iconic performance, (laughs) soon-to-be iconic performance, y'all, go to eminapa.org, grab your tickets for Carmen, so you can see Simone as Micaela, May 8th (laughs) to the 22nd. I'm so excited for this show. So excited to see you again on stage, Simone. And thank you so, so much for being here with us. Before you go though, do you have um, any places, websites, social media handles that you want to drop? If anybody oh, sure. check out your work?
4: It's really easy. My website is www.SimonHarcumSoprano.com. And my Instagram is at Simone
0: <laughs> well, there you go Simone and <laughs> Soprano that's all you need to know
4: um, <laughs> it will not change
0: <laughs> well Simone thank you again so much it was such an honor we're thank so you. so happy you were able to make time in your busy schedule for us I know that you are tired you just got off a plane, <laughs>
4: <laughs> but I made it. You guys are great, and I love it. It's very cute. I'm here for it. Live <laughs> right that. up. I can take the day
0: on.
1: Oh, oh good. Thank We're 100% here for you and so excited to see you in common. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, thank you to Simone one more time, and we will be right back with Pure Black Joy. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo. And we are back. And it is time for everyone's favorite segment. Ready, Paige? (laughs) And a one, and a two, and a one, two, three, four. Peanut butter jelly
1: time. Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter (laughs) jelly. (laughs) Peanut butter jelly. jelly. uh, uh, uh,
0: uh, uh, uh. (laughs) (laughs) That is right. It is time for pure black joy where we just take a moment to just shout out the Black people, places, things mm-hmm. that are bringing, um, bringing us joy this week. And so who wants to go first? I should either go first or last, because mine is beyond stupid. Why don't
2: let's end <laughs> with some stupidity. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. You want to go first then, Lee?
2: Yeah, I will go ahead and go first. So um, this is a really big shout out to a friend of the show who appeared on um the score um maybe a couple of months ago now ari fulton who designed the costumes for the anonymous lover has been nominated for a lucille lortel award which are the awards that acknowledge excellence in off-broadway um, productions. Yes. Uh, yay, let's give a little applause for outstanding costume design for a piece called Confederates. Um, and I want to say two quick things about the piece before you go judging based on the name. Um, <laughs> a, it is a play written by a playwright that I love, Dominique morso a mm-hmm. Black woman playwright. Mm-hmm. Um, the topic of which is probably not what you may guess from the name of the play, but also very critically, Ari's nomination is the only nomination for Confederates. And I just want to take a moment to Mm. acknowledge that those of you who follow awards for theater things, it's kind of unusual when a costumes or set design or lighting is the only thing nominated from a piece, right? Like they frequently Lots of design things seem to be nominated in tandem. So I think it's even more noteworthy that in a year that Confederates didn't necessarily get a ton of nominations, that Ari's work was still acknowledged and seen and valued. Um, I do wish there had been more nominations for that piece, but I'm not a voter so I'll keep that part to myself. But a big congratulations to Ari and everybody else involved with Confederates and I hope you win. Yay, congratulations, Ari.
1: (laughs) Wonderful, wonderful. Well, uh, my pure black joy uh, for this week is the joyous uh, production that I saw of Jelly's Last Jam at Theater Latte Da based here in Minneapolis. Y'all, it was a Black good time. It was (laughs) so wonderful. I mean, I went, yes, I went to support my good sister friend and fellow Howard Bison, Alexia Thompson, who just slayed oh my god like i've been know her voice was like butter since college but (laughs) she just took that butter and just slathered it all over the theater (laughs) it was so good it is just amazing what people can do when they just get the right role Mm -hmm. i was like i hope that she just gets bookings on bookings on top of this but jelly's last jam itself is written by also one of my favorites george c wolf um Mm -hmm. And is about the jazz musician Jelly Roll Morton, who um, was a Creole from Louisiana, and he created a very black form of was part of the you know creation and of a very black form of music. Um, <laughs> had some real. Uh, issues with the origins of that music and his own blackness. And George C. Wolf, if you know his work, amazing black playwright and <laughs> does not shy away from our, <laughs> our own internal issues as black folks. So he really grapples with like the colorism and just such like smart, but comedic ways. Um, and the show was a good time. It's great singing, it's good dancing. It was like just the uplifting yet thoughtful and like it just it gave me a mix of everything it gave me a mix of everything from the commentary on race to the amazing music and shout out to having um body size diversity as well in their Mm -hmm. cast having like plus size people in roles where they're not just matronly or (laughs) not just comedic like where they're also seen as desirable or Funny, but not like the butt of the joke, like, it, mm, love it, love it. So that, uh, shout out, shout out to that. Um, shout out to everyone who was a part of it. The director who I wish I had her name in front of me right now, um, but if we can link in the show notes. Um, <laughs> y'all can take a look at just everyone who was a part of it cause they were incredible.
2: Oh, shout, shout to Latte Da for that. Mm, Um, Jelly's Last Jam is one of my all-time favorites, and I'm so glad to hear that this production was a good one. And also shout to your, your friend, Mm because, you know, I'm, that makes me very, very curious, and I hope they put stuff online so those of us who missed it can still enjoy pieces of the show in some way. Mm -hmm. Is it still running? No
1: um i believe so i think it runs through like early may
2: oh okay okay oh that's good to hear yeah yeah, yeah. so i no, think
1: there, that there's just... at least one or two more weekends at the very okay. least
0: because everything you just said made me really want to go see it so <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah if you like jazz if you like uh black folks if you like satire <laughs> <if> you like... <laughs> <laughs> then it's for you <laughs> well shout out to your latte Da. Shout out um, to them too. I mm. was, I mean, because my friend was in it, I I want to repeat like a point that was made at the after party because I went to opening night and, you know, gave her her flowers and everything. Um, but something that the director said that like, this is such an amazing piece, but like uh, like many of George C. Wolfe's works, um, they're not exactly the first to be programmed by white theaters or white run theaters or theaters that have- traditionally had a lot of white leadership. Um, yeah, because it's it's kind of real. It gets kind of raw just as it is entertaining. So yeah, shout out to them for programming it for real.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I know I said mine was stupid, but first I <laughs> want to start with something that's not <laughs> stupid at all, quite the opposite. Um, you know, and I just want to just officially, I know we talked about this a little bit last week, but officially Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson <laughs> shout out to you thank you so much <laughs> good luck to you <laughs> mm-hmm. and we we love you and we are rooting for you Absolutely. um but um <laughs> I don't know did you all were you all into the real world back then? I know you were like a zygote
1: page but <laughs> like i was about native. to say well real world has been all, stayed on for a very long time yes, so i don't yes. know nothing about the og stuff but there was a real world mm-hmm. of my generation and yes i watched it
0: because <laughs> uh, like it got messy in the 2000s after vegas and it became all about you know Hooking up and getting drunk and and whatnot, but like before it that, also
2: started kind of messy.
0: Well, yes, I mean it was messy, but in different ways.
2: Yeah, because <laughs> that season with Tammy Roman, girl, that girl. that was a mess. It was
0: not funny. <laughs> oh,
2: I I'm still scarred. That was actually I watched the, like the first three seasons and I stopped after that one because I was like I don't I don't know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, yeah, no, in San Francisco with. Puck was that with Pedro. Puck? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. yeah.
2: So maybe it was only the them? first season I liked, so actually. Well.
0: Yeah. i used... just
1: enjoyed the cultural impact of it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, so there is a season in New Orleans. I think it was in like 99 or 2000 or whatnot. And what Paramount Plus has been doing lately is like inviting like the old cats from the 90s to reunite and then like filming what happened. So they reunited the cast with T- tammy roman and there's like a meme of her in her bonnet with like a little virginia slim like, uh... <laughs> but in the new orleans season there was this dude named david and he was just like you know just kind of typical like 20s Sort of Hotepi straight dude was not, <laughs> but but he considered himself a songsmith, and he would drop some of his music, um, and you know, Black Millennial history. The song "Come On Be My Baby Tonight." Do you remember any of either of? You? Yes, yes, you know what I'm talking. I
2: do.
0: So in the trailer for the reunion, do you remember the trailer for Jordan Peele's Us where they took I Got Five on it and mm-hmm. remixed it and made it spooky? Mm-hmm. For this trailer, they took Come On Be My Baby Tonight and made it spooky. And it's just been playing in my head the <laughs> last week. Every time I think about it, I fall out. So oh I just goodness. I just want to thank David. Come on be my baby tonight. <laughs> I'm gonna be my baby tonight. <laughs> I see how you treated all those other thugs you've been with. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> that is lucky a lady <laughs> from Guys and Dolls. Okay, okay. No they took it bad. and they made it spooky. And every time I think about it, that better just been like my, my pure black joy for this last week because I just fall out every time. And I just you all have to hear it. It's amazing. The song specifically is just pure specific. black joy. The song. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> spooky <laughs> remix. Come <laughs> on, be my baby today. See, I told you it was stupid.
2: <laughs> well, maybe somebody will do a spooky remix of uh, our Peanut Butter Jelly Time song. So, all Ooh. of you talented producers out there, let's see what you got. <laughs>
0: or yeah. Joseph could do like a spooky um, remix of our theme music. Oh, oh.
1: I, I want like a spooky like chopped and screwed version so you know with the <laughs> you know we can have add like a deep voice in there that says this is score and all that like make it sound like it's a mixtape. Oh, score. <laughs> <laughs> Make it sound like we're going to, somebody's going to drop a high 16 (laughs) (laughs) after. It won't be me. (laughs) Well,
0: send all your submissions to the score (laughs) at eminopera.org. We want to hear them. And I think that's going to do it for this week. Well, this was fun. As always, Hmm. good good to hang out with you. Good to hang out with all of you out there on the internet. Um, Thank you once again to Simone Harkham for joining us. Go see her in Carmen this May. You can get your tickets at the link in the show notes and go check her out, Simone Harkham, Soprano, um, on all of the various places on the internet where you can <laughs> go to <laughs> see people anyway i'm gonna stop talking now other than to say you know i looked at um our our apple analytics mm-hmm. and we've gotten a few more reviews hey. which thank you hey.
1: thank you so five
0: much. stars however i did notice that there's still just the one with words so <laughs> I feel like I'm just like getting out here at the end of the show and screaming into the void. Are people just not listening to the end of the show? Do I need to put this at the beginning of the show? Maybe next time I'll put this at the beginning of the show, but we would like reviews with words, please. <laughs> the five stars is fine as long as it's five. Five. Cinco. I'm I'm not I'm not joking around. And (laughs) subscribe wherever you know fine podcasts are aggregated. (laughs) Share us with your friends. And I think that's it. Any words of wisdom? Yeah.
2: Not my strong suit whatsoever. (laughs) Not at all. All right, well. One step at a time. One One foot in front of the other. Close your legs to marriage.
0: All right, that's it. We're
3: out. Bye. (laughs) Bye.